good morning. The peach has plunged in Atlanta and the apple has dropped in New York. 2022 is history and a new year is upon us. It's time to pack up the past and focus on the future. New Year's Day is a time to plot a fresh course, target new goals, aim our aspirations higher, think thoughts that are brighter and bigger and better. It's been said, no matter a man's past, his future is always spotless. And that's true of everyone on New Year's morning. Today should be a launching pad, not a lily pad. We who are Christians need to remind ourselves what Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. That's why if you're not living an abundant life, you're living below your privileges. Always remember, being average is just the best of the poorest and the poorest of the best. Of all people, we Christians should never allow ourselves or our families to become mired down in mediocrity. Even if you've failed in the past to be what God has called you to be, don't let a checkered past rob you of a victorious future. As Christians, we believe in change. If human beings can never change, the gospel is a lie. Jesus died and rose from the dead and now sends his spirit to enable us to overcome our sin and live a filling and fruitful life. In fact, that's the Lord's goal for you in 2023. I love the message in Ezra chapter 10. The nation Judah had sinned and suffered God's punishment. Their capital of Jerusalem had been sacked and their citizens taken to Babylon. The exiles had spent 70 years in a foreign land before the Persian king Cyrus sent them home. Yet now, in the days of Ezra, they're back in the land, making the very same mistakes that sent them into exile in the first place. You would think they'd learned, but not so. We're told in verses 1 and 2 of Ezra chapter 10. Now, while Ezra was praying, and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Even after the people had committed the very same sins that brought on their bondage, the prophet of God, a courageous man named Shechaniah, he boldly stands up in the public assembly and he declares to the nation, There is still hope. I love his exact words. There is hope in Israel in spite of this. And there is hope for you in spite of your this. Whatever your this happens to be. In Jeremiah 29 verse 11, the prophet tells us, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Better days are ahead, days of peace and not of evil. But you and I need to change course. We need to turn from our old ways and adopt new habits. I'm sure you know the definition of insanity. It's doing it the same way you've always done it, yet expecting different results. To say it another way, people who make a hash of things are generally struggling with yesterday's leftovers. Here's the key to 23. Develop new habits for both you and your family. And that's what we want to talk to you about this morning. I believe the new habits that lead to success will inevitably revolve around the church. That's why this morning we're going to discuss the church in four ways. 
as a catalyst for faith, as a foundation for family, as an opportunity to invest in other people, and as a community for everyone. As you've probably figured out by now, I'm not in the house this morning. A friend of mine, a member of our church, made it possible for the Adams family to spend this past week on a Florida beach. After the challenging year our family has endured, our little retreat has been a great blessing. We're coming home today, but this morning, I've asked four of our elders to help us out. Chris Yancey will talk about faith. Christian Powers is going to discuss family. Ed Nolan will describe the joy of getting involved with others. And Ramus Fields will talk about the church as a community for everyone. Then at the end, Pastor James is going to come, wrap things up, and we're going to take communion together. Hey, here's Chris. topic this morning is the church is the catalyst that grows your faith. And I want to give you a few examples that the church has um, been used in my life to grow, to grow my faith. The definition of a catalyst is a substance that increases the rate of a chemical reaction without itself undergoing any permanent chemical change. So if you think of the church as the church as a tool that God can use to cause a reaction within you. So we know the definition of a catalyst, but what is the church? The church is a melting pot of many different people that are going through many different scenarios. God uses people to help grow us and make us more like him, make us more like Christ. As the writer of Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. One scenario I have witnessed in this church is a married couple going through a battle with cancer. The wife with her husband riddled with cancer. She has two choices to make. She can either blame God or praise him. I watched as this woman came to church every Sunday, never missing a Sunday, sometimes by herself, her husband unable to join her because he was too sick to come. She never wavered, never Never, I tell you. She stood there with her hands in the air, praising her Lord. Praising her Lord the whole way through this battle. I would come to church and look, just to see if she was there. And look at her during worship, with her hands in the air, praising her Lord. Tears coming out of her eyes. Let me tell you something. This grew my faith. She was a piece of iron sharpening me, and she did not even know it circumstances. God will also use the circumstances of other people's lives to grow and mature us. He will use all the experiences of life, both good and the bad, to grow us. He will especially use adversity in our lives. One scenario that God has allowed me to be a part of is a man whose wife was hospitalized with COVID pneumonia. Several times he was called to the doctor called to the hospital, thinking that this might be him saying until we meet again to his wife. The first time he was called to the hospital, he was frantic. He called me and asked me to take him there. But me and Brittany both had COVID ourselves. We couldn't ride with him. 
He asked me to follow him to the hospital because he was so frantic and so distraught. He asked me to talk to him on the way there, on the phone. Stay with him on the phone the whole way there. As we got on the phone, he commanded me to sing as loud as I could, Blessed be the name of the Lord. God giveth and God taketh away. And he made me yell it. As we're riding in the, in the car, Brittany driving, I'm on the phone, we got him on speakerphone. Brittany and I sung to him the whole way, crying our eyes out. He knew that Jesus gives and that Jesus takes away. Man, his faith really grew my faith and my wife's faith. The church has given me many opportunities, but it's given me another opportunity this year to witness a mom and a dad present their oldest son as a living sacrifice. I watched and I listened to both of them say more than once that their son belonged to Jesus, not to them. Whatever the Lord chose for their son that was on a ventilator with his lungs that were almost gone, they would praise Jesus' name, never wavering, never doubting. But they also trusted that the Lord would hear their prayers, and they fervently asked the Lord to heal their son. Watching this family grew my faith, grew my wife's faith, grew my kids' faith. You see, the church is the catalyst that God uses to cause a reaction within us. The chief catalyst of the Christian life is Bible intake, hearing the Word of God proclaimed, reading the Word, studying the Word, memorizing the Word, meditating on the Word, and applying the Word. This discipline impacts all other disciplines in a believer's life. Bible intake helps us see things from God's perspective and from his viewpoint. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. These three scenarios could have been viewed very differently by the church. But these three scenarios were people who have taken the word of God and built a biblical system in their lives. Church, what system are you building in your life? Will you sing, blessed be the name of the Lord in your lowest moment? Church, will you raise your hands high? And raise your voice to the heavens with praise while your partner in life is withering away. Church, will you trust the Lord with your firstborn, but still ask the Lord for the impossible and believe he can? Church, you will. You will. If you allow the church to help you build a biblical system for your life. Amen? Amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Christian Powers, an elder here at Calvary Chapel, and I'm excited to share with you a quick little message on the importance of church for the family. So I have the church, a foundation for the family. Today's passage will be in Acts 10, so if you've got a Bible, feel free to join with me in that uh, chapter for a few minutes. 
Uh, in the meantime, while you're turning there, I've got a question for you. Have you ever found yourself misusing a word or mispronouncing a word? What about misusing an object or a tool incorrectly? It can be quite embarrassing and sometimes downright humiliating, especially if you're called out for it. In the absence of Sandy today, I thought it'd be fun to honor him by sharing a top 10 list of commonly misused tools. And for time's sake, I'm going to quickly run through these items, but feel free to dig in them later. So, uh, top 10 tools. Using a plier as a wrench. Using a screwdriver as a pry bar. Sometimes even using the wrong screwdriver for the wrong screw. Didn't know this existed, but there's a sink plunger, and we have one at our house, and we use it for our toilet. Uh, an oven warming drawer. I guess that's an oven warming drawer. Uh, <laughs> um, there's a Tic Tac container that dispenses Tic Tacs itself. Who knew that there was a motor switch on a ceiling fan to change for different seasons? Uh, side tabs on aluminum foil dispensers. You can keep those in there. And I think the most two controversial ones, uh, metal utensils on non-stick cookware. That's a big no-no. And uh, toilet paper. I don't know if y'all do the under, over. Uh, We'll still be arguing about that until we're restored. But anyways, tools are an important, um, they're important to have. But most importantly uh, is knowing how to use them correctly. Likewise, the church is an incredible tool for the family. It's a foundation and a gift from God. The body is given by God. Um, this body, the church, can yield great results for the family, the community, and beyond. It can even set trajectory for the next generation. But how should it be used, and if we are using it correctly, is in question. Let's look at Acts chapter 10 to find out. So, uh, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was uh, called the Italian regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Verse 4. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, uh, what is it, Lord? Um, excuse me, I think I left, a, left a, a verse out, and I'll read it right here. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision of an angel coming in to him and saying, Cornelius. And when he observed him, <laughs> he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things, he sent him to Joppa. Now, for time's sake, I'm not going to read the rest of the passage, but I'm going to provide a quick timeline to kind of give you what, what happens the next uh, series of events. Peter has a vision, and the vision is really important uh, for uh, bringing in the, the, the Gentiles and the Jews into the church. Uh, Cornelius' men eventually end up in Joppa where they're going to pick up Peter and convince him to go back to Caesarea with them uh, to talk with Cornelius. And then what happens um, next is Peter shares with Cornelius the truth about Jesus. And that's where I'm going to pick up in verse 34. So then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness and is accepted by him. The word with God, the word which with God, which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And he commanded us to, um, verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. 
To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. That was a lot. In the passage, there is a lot going on, but I think it's important and relevant even to today. We see a man, Cornelius, who knows about God. We see a family, a household family, that has community and collectively, it says in the passage, fears God. The passage even goes as far as stating that Cornelius blessed his community by feeding and providing for for those around him. That's the word alms. And these were all good things. But Cornelius and his family were missing something further. Today, if we look around, we can have the same thing in our communities. Perhaps even in the walls of this building. There are times that people enter spaces of knowing the existence of God, truly fearing God, and they may as go as far as blessing others, but that's not exactly what God wants, us, wants it to be for us. It's not what he wanted for Cornelius either. So looking back at the text, God sends the church, i.e. Peter and others, to Cornelius and his household to reveal the lack of their true need, which is Jesus. So where does this leave us today? Yes, the church is the body, is the body of Christ here on earth, filling a, filling a vessel to do his will until he returns. This tool, this body, is extremely important for our families within the church. The real reason and where we should be setting our foundations as a family in the church is to know Christ deeper and have a richer communion with our family in this church, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, So as a family, we should be encouraged. Rather than focusing on how the tool can be used, rather than focusing how it was intended to be used, for the relationship, but have, excuse me, have a, a focus on what this church is for, having a relationship with Christ. Husbands, we should be encouraging our wives to draw near to the Lord daily, dying to ourselves as men, and washing our wives with the word. Wives, we should be encouraging to the men to draw near to the Lord daily as well, praying for them in leadership of the home and decisions that affect your family. Children, we should seek a deeper relationship with Christ and pray for the parents for their wisdom. And children, if there's any children in here that you have parents that aren't doing this actively, don't let that stop you. Get in the word. Get to know him personally. That's why we're here today. Lastly, parents, I want to leave with an encouraging verse, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. For most of my life, this verse has been, uh, you know, the way that I understood this verse was training our children in the word. And at a surface level, it it is. But it's important to learn the commands of God. But even going deeper is training up our children how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. As I leave today, I want to ask ourselves, are we actively using uh, these tools here at this church within these walls? in the body of Christ to encourage our family to be better morally or to know the words or have the right answers to the questions? Or are we actively engaging our, our families to deepen our relationship with Christ? If you're here today and haven't made that decision, I, along with some, several of the leaders here, would like to encourage you to talk with somebody about it and get prayer and get that tool moving. And for those in the church, let's continue to get engaged as a church to set a foundation for other families and families for ourselves to continue to use this tool to know him deeper. Thank you.
I will not be talking that fast. Um, my name is Ed Nolan. I, um, I pray that I have a word of encouragement for the new year, for at least somebody here. So Genesis 2.18, the Lord says to Adam, it's not good for a man to be alone. And I used to think that was due to the recklessness, irresponsibility of young men. But I now believe it applies to all of mankind. Uh, you know why it's not good to be alone? Our society, um, we're vulnerable to the lies of our society. Our society says, you're okay just the way you are. Your problems are somebody else's fault. See, blame divides. Today, we're more isolated than ever. Uh, almost every time the word alone is used in scripture, it's not good. About the only time it is good is when, it, when we approach God in repentance. Let me share a story from my life that might speak to somebody here, probably more likely speak to somebody at home. Um, I was 26 years old. I was sitting at a, a bar in a restaurant. There was a mirror behind the liquor bottles, and I saw my reflection. In a room full of people, I realized I was completely alone. I thought, you know, if something happened to me, if I died tonight, not a single person in this room would even know it or care. See, that kind of loneliness leads to very dark places. So I knew something had to change. Short version of the story, a few weeks later, I walked into Calvary Chapel for a Wednesday night Bible study. Let me pause to say, my thinking was, I wanted to find out if the Bible was truly God's word or just another book of empty promises. I really had no desire to join a church. I was a single guy lacking any real understanding of the Bible. Pastor Sandy that night was teaching from Romans chapter 1 and 2. Anybody who is familiar with that, it describes that we live in a broken world today and how in our wisdom we've abandoned God and become foolish. It very much described my life at that time. So I had to come back to find out the fix to the problem. Um, see, there's no such thing as internet or smartphones back then. To get a copy of the sermon, we got a copy of the videotape, or of the cassette tape. And so I got a copy after every service and we'd go back and re-listen to it. After a few weeks, the, the, the guy that was duplicating said, hey, you know what? You should do this job. <laughs> and I thought, you don't need any special knowledge for this. I could do this. Uh, so I became the tape guy. Um, so do you know what the most important ability to God is? Availability. Right? So, um, yeah, God will prepare us for certain ministries, but sometimes we just fill a need. So let's be clear. Service is not related to getting right with God. We can't earn God's love. Service is our reaction to God's grace. 
Romans chapter 12 describes life after accepting Christ as Savior, living the Christian life. It begins, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That means we can praise God through our actions. Quick story. Um, Many years ago, we were playing basketball in the back gym when there was a back gym. Uh, I came into the sanctuary, and Mr. Roy was cleaning the church. Mr. Roy came to Christ very late in life. He was cleaning the church by himself, and um, apparently the, the rest of the team didn't show up that day. And I looked, and I said, you know, Mr. Roy, you should probably go home and rest. I think you've done enough. And he literally looked me in the eye with a great big smile and said, I've done a a lot of wrong things in my life, but God has forgiven me. And this is my way to say thank you. So, of course, I left him there to finish by himself. (laughs) I spent a couple of hours that morning with Roy and had the greatest time, got to know the man. And, uh, you know, he made a lasting impression on me. Um, Mr. Roy expressed worship in his service. Romans 12 continues explaining that we're one body made up of unique individuals with unique talents and gifts working together to serve the Lord in joy. Um, It's funny, as I look around this room, many of my closest friendships have been formed in simple acts of service. Some of you have heard of talk about helping hands. A group of people get together on Saturdays and go help some folks with their yard work or with their home. Let me be honest. It's way less about the work and way more about the people. Working together promotes unity. It creates bonds. It breaks down walls. See, men don't need a lot of words to bond Women talk and multitask and never miss a beat. But the cool thing is it all works. Um, If you're a young person, maybe not very experienced, chances are there'll be somebody older there that can teach you. If you're a seasoned saint and maybe don't love bending over to pick up things, chances are there's somebody there you can uh, share a new insight into the world. So let me end by encouraging you. If you're feeling lonely or isolated, maybe it's time to find a way to serve at church. Ask around. There's needs everywhere. Most don't require any specific talent or knowledge. So in the new year, find a place to serve in your church because it's not good to be alone. Thank you. Greetings, church. (laughs) Or should I say greetings, community. I'm Raymond Fields. I'm here to talk about uh, the church as a community for all. And we are a community a community of people with various backgrounds, 
oddities, complexions, talents, passions, experiences, and ages, as I look around the room. We come together to praise and worship God and to mutually support and encourage one another. We are a community within a community. And more than that, we are a family. And in this family, who we have in common is greater than any of our differences. I want to share a scripture that uh, captures the words of the creator, the builder, the owner, the architect, the designer of our community, the words of Jesus himself. We're going to be in Matthew 16, verses uh, 16 through 18. And just as a quick reminder of this scene, Jesus is alone with his disciples, and he has just asked them an important question. Who do others say that he is? And more importantly, who do the disciples say he is? And it is at this point that Simon, who's about to get a new name, has an uncommon moment of clarity, insight, and revelation from God. We pick it up in verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not stand against it. Did you catch that at the end? I want us to take a couple of observations quickly here. Number one, it is Jesus who does the building, and it is also Jesus' church. Quick sidebar. The word that he used here was very specific. Jesus could have said, on this rock I build my synagogue, my temple. Those would have been easily accessible. But he said, I will build my church. The word is ecclesia, and in its historic content, it is not even what we call church today. It is a powerful organization that goes forward to impact the community. In fact, Jerusalem has been impacted for a few hundred years now by somebody else's ecclesia, by a Roman ecclesia. Church, Jesus is building this church, this ecclesia. This is his idea, and it needs to be done in the way that he intended. But back to Jesus in this community. I love observing Jesus in the encounters that he had in the Bible. As he traveled, he sent out different people, and the types of people Jesus engaged with were all over the map in their social status, occupations, and circumstances of life. The disciples alone are a testament to the variety of people that Jesus associated with. Fishermen, some of them were the business owners of their fishery. A tax collector, a political religious zealot, and a man who would ultimately turn out to be a thief and a betrayer. Jesus invited each one of these into his community, into his ecclesia. A quick survey of other people that Jesus spent time with, the children. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Even in the example of the rich young ruler, you can see a tenderness where Jesus uh, 
challenged him in his thinking, his priorities, and still invited him to be part of his new community. Nicodemus, a religious leader, an intellectual, a teacher, even a prostitute, he was even chastised by the religious community for letting a woman of her station even touch him. He was also generally accused of just hanging out with wicked people, sinners. But this is exactly who he came to redeem. There's probably no more powerful example of some of the boundaries Jesus changed and challenged than the encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well. Her community didn't value her. Jews certainly didn't value Samaritans. They hated them. In this one encounter, Jesus challenged racial biases. He challenged gender biases. And he turned the pyramid upside down on who could be included in his family, his ecclesia, his community. Church, when the people in our community come through these doors, and not just through these doors, I mean, we have a social media outreach, even online, we don't want to present any needless obstacles for people connecting with God. And conversely, when the church, that's us, when we go out those doors into our community, we are to be different. People should see and feel a palpable difference by coming in contact with people who have lined themselves with Jesus Christ. Our purpose is to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our community. Let me close by also using another uh, scripture that has Jesus' words in it. And it's a prayer, John 17, 20 through 22. Here, Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross. His time with us is short. He's going to take time out to pray for the disciples. He's going to pray for himself. But there's also another important group he prays for. He prays for you. He prays for me. He prays for the world. Let's pick it up and hear these words. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe, who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Did you hear it? For all. Not the ones, not just for belief, but the ones who will believe. Jesus knows that you're going to come to him at some point. I don't. I don't know when. But it's our hope that through your engagement in the community, that as Christians engage the community, we do it in this manner. And that we do it as one. You know, most folks don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with his people, to be quite honest. <laughs> Let us not be in the way of that. Jesus desires that all would come into a saving relationship with him and join his global community, the Ecclesia. Pastor James, thank you. Amen. Thank you guys so much. 
Uh, if you don't know our elders, we have these guys plus about three other men in our church that uh, are here to serve you and to help you and to help us to pastor the church. I'd encourage you to get to know them. They're a great, great group of men who really love the Lord and they love you. And uh, we're thankful for the words that they shared today. Uh, we're going to share in communion now. Um, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, as Jesus is closing out the Sermon on the Mount, he said the following statement. He said, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know, this thought of treating other people the way you wanted to be treated, it's been around for a long time. Jesus didn't originate the thought, but others had always stated it in the negative. It was something like this, you know, never do to someone else anything you don't want done to you, or you should not do to your neighbor what you don't want them to do to you. But Jesus took a negative and he turned it into a positive. And he said, hey, why don't we be proactive in loving others? Don't just you know, don't just spend your life avoiding doing bad to someone. Instead, step forward and treat others in a loving way. And guys, this is exactly what God did for us. You know, God could have just set up in heaven and said, you know, I'm just going to be patient with those people down there on earth, and I'm, 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 gonna, I'm, I'm not going to judge them today. I'm going I'm to avoid crushing them, even though they deserve to be crushed. But he didn't do that. God took a positive step, and he said, I'm going to show them how to love. And the way I'm going to show them how to love is I'm going to send my son to die for them, to walk among them, to reach out to them, but then ultimately to give his life for them so that they'll know that I love them, and they'll know how to love other people. And guys, as we share in communion this morning, this is what communion is about. Communion is a, is, is a reminder as we take the bread and as we take the, the cup, the bread being the body of Christ broken for us, the cup being his blood that was shed for us. It needs to be a reminder that God wanted to show you in a positive way, in a proactive way, that he loves you. And this is how you love others. And so today, as we share in communion, as we start a new year, you know, wouldn't it be great if this year, rather than spending all of our time thinking, okay, I, I don't want to hurt that person's feelings, or, uh, you know, I, okay, I'm, I'm going to be more obedient to my boss or to my parents, or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop being ugly and sarcastic. If rather than taking that approach to life, what if in this coming year we said, you know what, I'm going to wake up in the morning, and I'm going to think of how I can show the people around them that I love them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think, uh, how would my wife, how could I show my wife I love her? How could I show my kids I love her? How could I show my boss that I love him or her? And wouldn't that radically change most of our world if we just made that one simple change? And so as we take communion this morning, I'm going to ask the servers to come forward. As we take communion, uh, I want to challenge you as you look at that cup and you think about what Jesus Christ did for you. He did it all to show his love to you and his love for you. And so let's take communion and, and breathe in this morning that love that God has for us.
If you'll hold on to it after they pass it out, we'll share it together. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high.
the night before he was crucified, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. So let's take it together, remembering him. And he also took the cup. And he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. His way of saying to each one of us that, I love you so much. And so he broke his body. He gave his blood to show us his love. So let's take it together in remembrance of him. Father, we, we thank you as we start a new year. Lord, of just how much you loved us how much you love us today. Lord, I I pray that as we move forward this year that we can express to those around us and express to you just, Lord, just a smidgen of that love that you loved us with. Father, we wouldn't know how to love if it weren't for you loving us. And so, Father, help us to take that love and share it to those around us. Lord, make our church known in this community as a place where people are loved. Lord, that the places where each person works here, Lord, would become a place where they're known as that person who loves. That our families would be known in our neighborhoods as the family that loves. So, Father, I pray that you'll empower us to do that this year. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen.